Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And according to the Gregorian calendar and many Eastern liturgical calendars, this is the second Sunday before Christmas. Now, not only is that the case on a calendar per se, but it's also the case on the liturgical calendar. In other words, it's a specific denoting of a specific observance. The second Sunday before Christmas. There's also the Sunday before Christmas. The two Sundays before Christmas in the Byzantine liturgical calendar are significant because this is where we liturgically go back into the beginnings of this whole plan of salvation. In other words, we look today on this second Sunday before Christmas, at the patriarchs, also called the Holy Forefathers of Jesus Christ. In other words, all those that came before Christ who were, as we say oftentimes in the Byzantine church, the way we use scripture, the types of the archetype. In other words, we use a lot of typology and allegory or allegorical typology in the Byzantine church. So when we go back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to Moses and to Daniel and David and all those great Old Testament figures, Those are all foreshadowings or types of Jesus Christ. These persons find their ultimate meaning and fulfillment in the coming then of God in the flesh, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so we pray prayers like this. The three holy youths were refreshed by the Holy Spirit when they walked in the fire as though in a cool place. And then the Trinity and the incarnation of Christ were prefigured in a mystical manner. By their wisdom and faith, they overcame the power of fire. As for the just Daniel, he stopped the mouths of lions. Through their intercession, we beseech you, O Savior and Lord of mankind, protect us from eternal fire and make us worthy of your heavenly kingdom. So you can see how we step right into Scripture with our theology and our prayer. In liturgy, it's where prayer, theology, and Scripture all come together, and especially during certain special observances such as these Sundays before Christmas. But speaking of forefathers and holy men and patriarchs, Recently, the Pope of Rome, Patriarch of the West, Bishop of Rome, the however you want to refer to him, in different titles that have been used over time, the Pope of Rome has come out with a new exhortation. Now, many of you may have heard of this exhortation because it was touched upon in the media and by certain talk show hosts. And as always, it was done so in a kind of a soundbite manner where something was extracted and the There was a lot of hullabaloo, a lot of misinterpretation, but that seems to be the case with just about any pope, but in particular this one. That's not his fault. It's just the way it's happening. 
However, we're going to look at some of the things that he did say in this exhortation. The exhortation is called Evangelii Gaudium, in other words, the joy of the gospel. And it has a lot of relevant passages, very relevant passages, for those of us in the Eastern churches, and including the Orthodox churches. Now, early on in this document, the Pope, first of all, he lays out certain principles about evangelization. And he often refers to his predecessors, lots of quotes from his predecessors. And he says this, I never tire of repeating those words of Benedict XVI, which takes us to the very heart of the gospel. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life in a new horizon and a decisive direction. Now, that is something that is very much a part of Eastern spirituality. This is what we do during our feast day, such as today, the second Sunday before Christmas, in which it's all about not just a theology or an idea. It's about encountering, entering into a relationship with real-life persons and events relative to those persons, including the supreme person, the supreme being God, but also with the saints. Now, Pope Francis quotes this in his document. He says this, We become fully human when we become more than human, when we let God bring us beyond ourselves in order to attain the fullest truth of our being. Now, we would call that in the Eastern churches theosis or divinization or deification. Those words are also used in the Western church, but theosis is the one most commonly used or specifically used in the Eastern church to describe that ongoing process of ourselves moving beyond ourselves towards our best self. As he says here, it's very beautiful words. We become fully human when we become more than human, when we let God bring us beyond ourselves in order to attain the fullest truth of our being. And all of this means that we are, and this is part of the main point of the Pope's document, we are all by nature as Christians evangelizers. In other words, we have a mission. And he says this, every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Christ Jesus. We no longer say that we are disciples and missionaries, but rather that we are always missionary disciples. Now, many of you have probably heard of the new evangelization. This is something that applies to all of us, not just to Latin Rite Catholics, but our own Eparch of Parmas taking this very seriously. As you may have heard several programs ago, We introduced the new program that's going on in our eparchy. It's a process of discernment that's happening. It's between now and next year, which we call the assembly. began with one assembly and will culminate in the other assembly, in which we will come out with a grand pastoral plan for the present and future of our particular eparchy. But this new evangelization is also described briefly and rather clearly in this document by Pope Francis. And basically, there's three principal settings for it. First of all, It's in the area of the ordinary pastoral ministry, which is animated by the fire of the Spirit, so as to inflame the hearts of the faithful who regularly take part in community worship and gather on the Lord's day to be nourished by his word and by the bread of eternal life. In other words, the ordinary parishioner, to put it simply. The second setting for the new evangelization is the baptized whose lives do not reflect the demands of baptism, who lack a meaningful relationship to the church and no longer experience the consolation born of faith. So we have an evangelization, first of all, to the already baptized and those who are practicing their faith, to those who are baptized but aren't practicing, and finally, to those who do not know Jesus Christ or who have always rejected him. 
So these are the three areas of the new evangelization. One of the reasons it's called new is because there's some relatively new ways of approaching it, but also because it's basically, you almost call it the renewing evangelization, because it also includes not only people who don't have faith, but people who have, in fact, been baptized in the faith, even raised in the church, but who are lukewarm at best or don't practice it or have fallen away. So they are the targets of this evangelization, not just those who have no faith or have not heard of Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, there's other areas of this document, and the document itself, the whole thing is really worth reading. And it's very, actually, it's very easy reading, comparatively speaking. It's well documented, and it's lengthy, but it's very easy reading, sometimes even kind of funny at times. One of the areas that's also very significant for us here at Lay of the East in this document is some comments that the Pope made on liturgy. The Pope says this in his document, Evangelization with joy becomes beauty in the liturgy. As part of our daily concern to spread goodness, the church emphasizes and is herself evangelized through the beauty of the liturgy, which is both a celebration of the task of evangelization and the source of her renewed self-giving. So, evangelization with joy becomes beauty in the liturgy. Very, very Eastern concept, at least one that we in the Eastern lung of the church would certainly relate to. We would certainly say an amen to. He also says this about liturgy. It is worth remembering that the liturgical proclamation of the Word of God, especially in the Eucharistic assembly, is not so much a time for meditation and catechesis as a dialogue between God and His people, a dialogue in which the great deeds of salvation are proclaimed and the demands of the covenant are continually restated. The homily has special importance due to its Eucharistic context. It surpasses all forms of catechesis as a supreme moment in the dialogue between God and His people, which lead up to sacramental communion. The homily takes up once more the dialogue which the Lord has already established with His people. The preacher must know the heart of his community in order to realize where its desire for God is alive and ardent, as well as where that dialogue, once loving, has been thwarted and is now barren. So, once again, a great concept that we use in the Eastern churches about liturgy being a dialogue, and indeed it is. If you ever experienced Eastern liturgy, especially the Byzantine liturgy, and I highly recommend it you, you do if you haven't, you'll notice the whole thing is like a dialogue between the priest and the people, back and forth, a dialogue by means of a chant or chanting. But also, when he included this in his document, it was in the context also of homiletics. In fact, in the whole document, he has a practically a whole clinic on homiletics, very detailed description, especially dedicated, of course, to priests and deacons who do preach. He gives a kind of a step-by-step class in how to do homiletics. When we return, we're going to look more at this document by Pope Francis, which is very recent, the document called Evangelii Gaudium, which has many references that are of particular interest to the eastern lung of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. When did St. Nicholas begin delivering gifts on Christmas Eve? Well, sadly, by the end of the 18th century and the first part of the 19th century, people more and more forgot why we celebrate Christmas. So one day some folks invited me to deliver gifts on Christmas Eve instead of St. Nicholas Eve in early December. You can imagine my joy, the birthday of Jesus, what an honor! 
but it was then that they took away my bishop's vestments and dressed me like an elf. Talk about an extreme makeover. That's why on Christmas Eve of 1822, Dr. Clement Moore wrote down what he saw. He said he saw a little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Why, you ask, did he have doubts in his mind whether it was St. Nicholas or not? Well, he knew I was a bishop. He was shocked to see me dressed like an elf. But no matter how I'm dressed, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Truth. It's not about how you feel. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1935, Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky wrote the following about truth and our attitudes towards faith. He wrote, Many believing Christians are sometimes wrong because they think that authentic religion is more of a feeling than truth itself. Faith is an act of reason and not a blind assent to just anything whatsoever. And faith is certainly not just one's private experience. Faith compels one to believe, but it compels one because the mind itself recognizes that believing is a reasonable and necessary act and that not believing would be a sin against God and truth. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we're looking at Pope Francis's most recent, in fact, it's his first exhortation, but it's very recent, came out just before Thanksgiving. In fact, I spent Thanksgiving plowing through it, studying through it. And I was very moved by many of the passages, especially those which have a certain significance or relevancy for us in the Eastern churches. And that's what we are focusing on today, especially today on this Sunday of the holy fathers or the patriarchs, those great people of Old Testament who came before Christ, who foreshadowed him, who were types of the archetype Christ. So it seems appropriate we would look at the work of a modern-day patriarch, the Pope. This is something else he said in his document. It's about beauty, something that, of course, we in the Eastern Church hold very, very dear to us. Every form of catechesis would do well to attend to the way of beauty, proclaiming Christ means showing that to believe in and to follow him is not only something right and true, but also something beautiful, capable of filling life with new splendor and profound joy. Even in the midst of difficulties, every expression of true beauty can thus be acknowledged as a path leading to an encounter with the Lord Jesus. This has nothing to do with fostering an aesthetic relativism, which would downplay the inseparable bond between truth, goodness, and beauty but rather a renewed esteem for beauty as a means of touching the human heart and enabling the truth and goodness of the risen Christ to radiate within it. If, as St. Augustine says, we love only that which is beautiful, the incarnate Son, as the revelation of infinite beauty, is supremely lovable and draws us to himself with bonds of love. So a formation in the way of beauty ought to be part of our effort to pass on the faith. Each particular church should encourage the use of the arts in evangelization, building on the treasures of the past, but also drawing upon the wide variety of contemporary expressions so as to transmit the faith in a new language of parables. We must be bold enough to discover new signs and new symbols, new flesh to embody and communicate the word, 
and different forms of beauty which are valued in different cultural settings, including those unconventional modes of beauty, which may mean little to the evangelizers, yet prove particularly attractive for others. So here, a very, very beautiful passage on beauty, and one that, if I didn't know better, I would think that an Eastern theologian wrote it, or an Eastern spiritual master. Because this whole idea of evangelizing through beauty, it just captures the essence of the Eastern churches. That's how we do evangelize. It is through an overpowering beauty, a beauty that is able to touch the human heart, enable the truth and goodness of the risen Christ to radiate within it, as the Pope says here. So, to rediscover the way of beauty is also a form, a necessary form, of evangelization. One of the verses in this passage on beauty strikes me, particularly and in a personal way, because he says that each particular church should encourage the use of the art in evangelization. Now, that is certainly what I'm doing right now as you listen to me. The media, radio, is one of the art forms. Communication is one of the art forms, but also because our church has been painted from floor to ceiling with iconography, it has attracted many, many visitors. It has been showed up in many newspapers, printed materials. Its icons have been reproduced. I can go on and on and on. The icons that go from floor to ceiling in our church, Nunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, and you can get a glimpse of it if you haven't already by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com, and clicking on the photo page. But these icons, these murals, as well as the things we've done on the exterior of our church, on its surface and also in the property, in our landscaping, these things have in fact been exactly what the Pope says here, the use of arts in evangelization. Now, I mentioned that there are also some very specific references that should be of interest to the Orthodox churches, or also to us of the Eastern Catholic churches as well. This is one of the things that Pope says that would be of particular interest to the Orthodox. Well, he says this. I'll read the whole passage. I was happy to take up the request of the Fathers of the Synod to write this exhortation. In doing so, I am reaping the rich fruits of the Synod's labors. In addition, I have sought advice from a number of people and I intend to express my own concerns about this particular chapter of the Church's work of evangelization. Countless issues involving evangelization today might be discussed here, but I have chosen not to explore these many questions, which call for further reflection and study. Nor do I believe that the papal magisterium should be expected to offer a definitive or complete word on every question which affects the Church and the world. It is not advisable for the Pope to take the place of local bishops in the discernment of every issue which arises in their territory. In this sense, I am conscious of the need to promote a sound decentralization. Here's something further the Orthodox would certainly find interesting. The Pope says this, Since I am called to put into practice what I ask of others, I too must think about a conversion of the papacy. It is my duty as the Bishop of Rome to be open to suggestions which can help make the exercise of my ministry more faithful to the meaning which Jesus Christ wished to give it and to the present needs of evangelization. Pope John Paul II asked for help in finding a way of exercising the primacy which, while in no way renouncing what is essential to its mission, is nonetheless open to a new situation. We have made little progress in this regard. The papacy and the central structures of the universal church also need to hear the call to pastoral conversion. Imagine that, the Pope saying that. I'll read that again. The papacy and the central structures of the universal church also need to hear the call to pastoral conversion. The Second Vatican Council stated that like the ancient patriarchal churches, 
Episcopal conferences are in a position to contribute in many and fruitful ways to the concrete realization of the collegial spirit. I just want to stop there and point something out, as I have many times in this program over the years, that many of the legitimate developments in the Western Church, and therefore for the whole Catholic Church, that happened in the Second Vatican Council were in part influenced by the Eastern Churches. And this is a sterling example of that. They even reference the ancient patriarchal churches. That is still the ecclesiology of the Eastern Churches today, especially the Eastern Orthodox Churches. And it's where the council called to rediscover that, as it is in the East, and to put greater weight on these Episcopal conferences, or in other words, a little more of a local church ecclesiology. Now, I want to reassure everybody that this is not any of the popes, because Francis is saying this, but also he's quoting previous popes like John Paul II. None of these popes are going to, as they said here, change something essential about the ministry of the papacy, but they are going to be open to maybe a kind of a new look at it or a rediscovering of an old look, looking at old forms of it, but in new ways. So I'll continue with the quote from the Pope. Yet this desire has not been fully realized since the juridical status of Episcopal conferences, which would see them as subject of special attributions, including genuine doctrinal authority, has not yet been sufficiently elaborated. Excessive centralization, rather than proving helpful, complicates the church's life and her missionary outreach. Whoa. Boy. Now, that is really something that I would suspect our Orthodox brothers and sisters would find very, very interesting. Let's go to another reference of the Orthodox Church by Pope Francis in this wonderful document, Evangelii Gaudium, in other words, the joy of the gospel. In this section of the document, the Pope is talking about ecumenical dialogue. And I'll read the one section. Given the seriousness of the counter-witness of division among Christians— particularly in Asia and Africa, the search for paths to unity become all the more urgent. Missionaries on those continents often mention the criticisms, complaints, and ridicule to which the scandal of divided Christians give rise. If we concentrate on the convictions we share, and if we keep in mind the principle of the hierarchy of truths, we will be able to progress decidedly towards common expressions of proclamation, service, and witness. The immense numbers of people who have not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot leave us indifferent. Consequently, commitment to a unity which helps them to accept Jesus Christ can no longer be a matter of mere diplomacy or forced compliance, but rather an indispensable path to evangelization. Signs of division between Christians and countries ravaged by violence and further causes of conflict on the part of those who should instead be a leaven of peace. Now, right there, many of our Eastern brethren, especially in the Middle East, and not too long ago in Central Europe, can relate to this very well. So the Pope continues, How many important things unite us? If we really believe in the abundantly free working of the Holy Spirit, we can learn so much from one another. It is not just about being better informed about others, but rather about reaping what the Spirit has sown in them, which is also meant to be a gift for us, to give but one example. In the dialogue with our Orthodox brothers and sisters, we Catholics have the opportunity to learn more about the meaning of Episcopal collegiality and their experience of synodality, in other words, synods. Through an exchange of gifts, the Spirit can lead us ever more fully into truth and goodness. So see, there is the second reference to the 
Eastern ecclesiology as maybe holding something that could be helpful to the West. Again, without the West compromising its own ecclesiology. So I'm not talking about compromising what essentially makes us who we are as Eastern West. It's just a matter of seeing in each other's riches how those riches can enrich one another. That, of course, is the point of this whole program, Light of the East, and I thank you for listening to it. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 